Jamie Bacon finally sentenced for his role in the Surrey Six slayings. Mr. Bacon's rights today is way superior over my son's innocent life. Why he'll spend less than six years in jail. BC election speculation. The lieutenant governor doesn't really have a choice. She has to accept the request. The evidence Premier John Horgan could call it sooner than later. And silo collapse on the North Shore. Why workers are very lucky. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We're going to get to those stories in just a moment. But first, some breaking news involving a police incident in Abbotsford where witnesses say gunfire erupted at a Cabela's store. Paul Johnson is live at the scene where this all unfolded just a short time ago. Paul, we know two people went to hospital. What have you learned since then? Well, Chris, this is the Cabela's, like you said. This is at the McCallum Junction shopping facility in Abbotsford. And as you can see, massive police presence here right now. They've roped off much of the parking lot in what we have now confirmed was an officer-involved shooting. Information has been coming out just in the past few minutes after we got here. Here's what one of the witnesses to the incident had to tell us. This guy's got a knife, he's got pepper spray, and he's attacking the So yeah, just to summarize what we are understanding has happened here today, earlier this afternoon, this probably was shortly before four o'clock, two men were allegedly trying to shoplift from Cabela's. An Abbotsford police officer was called to the scene from what we can gather. Those two men then rammed her with this shopping cart full of stolen merchandise. This is just in the parking lot here behind me. They then pepper sprayed her. She was able to collect her wits, get up. One of the men fled, then allegedly came back. There was another incident of pepper spraying of this police officer, at which time we're told the police officer fired her weapon and hitting what we believe was at least one of the suspects. Now, there are two people who have been taken to hospital at this point. One, we gather, is the suspect who was shot. He's in critical condition. We've also been told that the officer in question has been taken to hospital as well and is in serious condition. Now, Carl, why don't you try to zoom in on that shopping cart there behind me? We believe that was the original culprit that sparked this chain of events here. Some of the witnesses here say that they believe these two men were trying to steal ammunition from Cabela's. That's something that they would sell there. Of course, we're waiting on more confirmation from the Abbotsford Police Department as the evening progresses. All of this has just been happening within the last few hours. Chris? Quite dramatic indeed. Thanks very much, Paul. And if any new information becomes available, yeah, we'll pass it along. All right, now to North Vancouver, where there is also some breaking news. Emergency crews on scene at a silo collapse near the waterfront. We'll get right to Catherine Urquhart now, who is live near the scene. Catherine, sounds like workers were very fortunate they weren't hurt here. Indeed, Chris. Some frightening moments here on the North Vancouver waterfront just a few hours ago. It was about 2.30 when a silo suddenly collapsed here behind me at Fiberco, which is an export terminal. Fortunately, no one was hurt. But witnesses say it was an alarming scene. The pops were, they were big cracks and bangs. Like it was, like, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. I've never, never seen anything like that before. And uh, 
I don't think you'll ever do again. Do you happen to be looking in that direction? No, we are just in the yard here talking to a couple other guys, and it literally was just a matter of seconds. It was 10 seconds the thing was down, and like you were all like, what the hell's going on? It was just a cloud of grain smoke, and I saw the complete tin was completely ripped from the top of it. Quite a bit of damage. Yeah, quite a lot. A structural engineer is investigating and it's hoped they'll be able to determine exactly why this silo collapsed. Chris, back to you. All right, Catherine Urquhart in North Vancouver. Thanks, Catherine. Well, nearly 13 years after the Surrey 6 massacre of four gang members and two innocent men, Red Scorpions gang leader Jamie Bacon has been sentenced for his role ordering the murder of rival gang leader Corey Lau. Bacon was handed 18 years behind bars, but Ramina Dea shows us why he won't even spend six years in jail. Today is really, really difficult to accept. Really difficult. Eileen Mohan's son, Christopher, was forced to lay face down on the floor before he was shot in the back of the head. The 22-year-old on his way to play basketball, an innocent bystander. The sentence, void of justice for this mother. I just cannot balance Mr. Bacon's rights today is way superior over my son's innocent life. Jamie Bacon's initial plan to kill one person, Corey Lal, in a parking lot. But the leader of the Red Scorpions changed his mind. In a complex plea deal, Bacon pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit the murder of Lal, his drug rival. The 2007 hit culminating in a massacre. Lal plus his three associates were executed, along with two innocent people, Christopher Mohan and Ed Schellenberg, who was fixing a fireplace in Lal's apartment. Mr. Bacon was the architect of this plan, said Justice Carr, who called the offenses appalling. Bacon also pleaded guilty to one count of counseling to commit murder in the failed attempt on Dennis Karbovanek's life in 2008. The judge accepting counsel's joint submission of a global sentence of 18 years total for both crimes. But Bacon will get double credit for time served. The time remaining, five years, seven months, and eight days. The plea deal, a just conclusion, says a spokesperson for Crown. But there is never a certainty of conviction following a trial. These cases had their issues, their complications, and their challenges. An outcome Mohan is simply unable to accept. The grieving mother will be back in court next month for the appeals of two others convicted in the Surrey 6 slaughter. How do we change laws so that families like us, innocent families like us, whose lives are so shattered, we don't have to stand at the court, at the doorstep of the courts, begging, begging for justice. Romina Dea, Global News. Some cryptic comments from Premier John Horgan earlier this week have kicked speculation into high gear about a possible election this fall. The NDP arguably has some good reasons to call a snap vote, but as Richard Zussman reports, there could also be some political landmines on the road to the polls. 
Cheering supporters, shaking hands, knocking doors. This is what an election normally looks like. But in a pandemic? Kind of pressing of the flesh that is normally part of an election uh, probably couldn't happen during a pandemic, that you would have far fewer events uh, and a lot less opportunities. I mean, people think might even be uncomfortable with uh, uh, candidates coming door to door. There's a lot of pressure coming from those inside the NDP to get Premier John Horgan to force an election this fall well before the scheduled election in October 2021. But it's not his decision alone. The lieutenant governor would have to be convinced an election is needed. Enough time has passed since the last election that there would be no grounds for the lieutenant governor to refuse uh, a request to dissolve the legislature at this point. This is the sort of constitutional advice Horgan has already received. Pair that with sky-high polling numbers, and it could be a recipe to keep them in this office. If there were an election held in B.C. today, it looks like it would be a fairly comfortable majority for the NDP. The obvious X factor is the pandemic, and whether voters would punish Horgan for forcing an election in the midst of dealing with rising cases of COVID-19 and more British Columbians in hospital with the virus. If British Columbians feel like this is frivolous, it's not necessary, it's not what people want right now, then they can punish a government for doing what they think is is a politically motivated, self-interested move. Polls are indicating voters are supportive of how the government has dealt with the pandemic. A recent mail-out from NDP MLAs show them touting both the government's and Dr. Henry's achievements. Another factor is whether voters would feel safe voting, even with a mail-in option. The pandemic's a big thing, so it could really have a negative impact on Trinidad, I think. Horgan is set to release an economic recovery plan next week. And the reaction to that whether COVID cases continue to climb will dictate how the Premier decides to end all this speculation. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, the pandemic will almost certainly be an issue if there is an election, and today's numbers show notable growth in hospitalizations. We have 132 new infections for a total now of 6,962 total cases. Thankfully, no new deaths today, so that number remains at 213. We have 49 people in hospital. That's an increase of seven, and the highest since May. Ten patients are in ICU. 5,273 people are considered recovered, leaving us with a new record 1,461 active cases and 3,198 people in isolation. Let's bring in Keith Baldry as usual. Keith, a somewhat concerning jump in the number of hospitalizations province-wide. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you'd agree, but not overwhelming, at least not yet. Not yet. I asked Dr. Bonnie Henry about this yesterday. She says she is keeping an eye on this. There is some trepidation about what we're seeing. We've gone from 31, which was the number a week ago today, to 49 today. That's an increase of 18 in the space of a week. Biggest increase week to week we've seen in months. Also, where they're located tells a bit of a story. So take a look at the, where, the, the breakdown by Health Authority. Fraser Health has the most hospitalizations. That's not new. 22. They've been tracking in the 20s for some time. Where there's new cases, a big spike is Vancouver Coastal, 19. Six of them are in ICU. And most concerning is what's happening in the Northern Health Authority. We've got eight cases, eight people in in hospital. The number of COVID-19 cases there is starting to spike in in the least populated area of the province. So a little nervousness about what's happening in the north and this sudden increase in Vancouver Coastal. So 49 now, and it's been increasing steadily. And back to Richard's story and the point there, if this hospital number continues to increase with this type of uh, escalation, you've got to figure it's going to 
weigh heavily on Premier Horgan's mind as he weighs this, in fact, puts this uh, into the factoring of whether or not to issue that writ. If we've got escalating hospital numbers, I think that significantly lessens the chance of calling an election in the next two weeks. Sounds like it. We'll see how it all plays out. In the meantime, have a good weekend, Keith. Thank you. You too. Starting next week, UBC is making masks mandatory in indoor campus areas. As of Wednesday, September 16th, students, faculty, staff and visitors to the province's largest university will be required to wear non-medical masks whenever indoors. The new rules apply to shared spaces within UBC buildings, including hallways, stairways, entryways, washrooms, study spaces, classrooms and common areas in residences. People with underlying medical conditions, of course, as always, will be exempt. A Vancouver grandmother is speaking out tonight, frustrated because she feels her city is no longer safe. Yesterday, she says her little granddaughter was assaulted, spat on in the downtown core. One of a growing list of problems the mayor tried to address at a special meeting of council today. Jordan Armstrong reports. She was just about to start crossing the street, and this woman crossed the street and spat on one of our twin granddaughters, who's four and a half. They were just walking home. No words exchanged. Marilyn Gardner says her daughter and granddaughters did nothing to provoke the Thursday afternoon encounter, just steps away from B.C. Supreme Court on Hornby Street. She just walked up to them and spat on one of them. How was the little one? She was traumatized, right? She, I mean, it was scary. She claims that happened two weeks after the family was threatened with a broomstick in the West End. This is getting ridiculous. I wish our mayor would take a stand and do something for the taxpayers of the city. Homelessness and street disorder have emerged as hot-button issues during the pandemic. And there's a shared feeling of defeat. No one's winning here. Not residents, not business owners, and certainly not Vancouver's vulnerable. What we've been doing is not working. And we need to be serious and change now. Friday afternoon, Vancouver City Hall began hearing from more than two dozen speakers at a special virtual council meeting initiated by the mayor to discuss homelessness and tent cities. Gardner hopes the politicians get serious about plotting a path to a solution. She says a suspect was arrested in the spitting attack on her granddaughter. No word from Vancouver police if there will be charges. Can they test this woman for COVID? Like... You know, somebody said, oh, no, they can't. They have to agree to it. Well, you know, they're spitting at our granddaughter. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A stark reminder for high-rise residents about the dangers of letting pets near windows or out onto a balcony. The SPCA is hoping you can help two kittens who recently fell from two separate high-rise buildings. Jersey fell from a fourth-floor balcony in Victoria he was surrendered to the local SPCA when his family couldn't afford the $2,000 bill for the required surgery. His right front leg was amputated, and he's learning to walk in foster care. And four-month-old Toast is in the care of the SPCA's Vancouver branch after falling five stories from the window of his owner's home. The procedures he needed to ease pain and restore function in a limb cost more than $3,000 once they recover both those cats will be put up for adoption. Well, it's one of the worst choke points in the Lower Mainland. Highway 1 through Abbotsford and Langley just got some major improvements. But now, seems like this, scaring the heck out of drivers. Why some say the changes are worse than before in just over a minute.
A harrowing experience for a couple lost for days in the wilderness. What saved them? Coming up later. And Justin Trudeau chooses his words very carefully in addressing the fact we charity is closing its Canadian operations. That's coming up as well. But right now, just one week after a multi-million dollar interchange on Highway 1 opened in Langley, drivers are sounding an alarm about bigger problems. The 216th Street interchange was built to alleviate a chronic bottleneck. But drivers say it's creating another more dangerous situation just down the road. The 216th Street interchange in the township of Langley was touted as the answer to traffic congestion. Design is stupid, I don't know where to get that uh, engineer. Instead, just a week after the $62 million project opened, drivers say bad planning has created a dangerous bottleneck. I've been down south, I've been back east, that's the only uh, merge point like that I've seen like that. While widening a section of Highway 1 from four lanes to six looks good on paper, Motorists worry a merging mess just east of the 216th overpass means a horrible collision is just a matter of time. It is very confusing because the merging line, like it's uh, very short. It's kind of two merging at the same time. With the three lanes heading east dropping back down to two, vehicles in the passing lane should move left once the HOV lane ends. This frees up that lane for vehicles needing to merge from both the on-ramp and right-hand lane, which ends shortly afterwards. Instead, with no indication to merge left, vehicles in the passing lane continue straight, creating a bottleneck with vehicles in the right lane running out of road. If they would expand this or, or extend the freeway out uh, all the way to the eastern part of Abbotsford, this problem goes away. Abbotsford's mayor says instead the province's patchwork approach to highway improvements is pushing the problem down the road. The amount of traffic that is on this freeway is way more than, than the capacity that it's able to carry. And people are dying. Making matters even worse, trucks are being forced into the right lane just before it ends to trigger a height sensor measuring clearance for the next two overpasses. What's at risk of happening are collisions, development of speed differentials, uh, impatience and bad decisions. The Ministry of Transportation says the design follows Canadian road standards, but engineers are reviewing, quote, the operation of merges. Drivers critical of the project say small sections of improvements aren't the solution. Just added headaches on a highway with still a long way to go. John Hua, Global News. Just ahead, Metro Vancouver's smoky haze and the growing concerns about the health impact. And it turns out removing the RV that crashed into a house is a very big, complicated job. High above the Massey Tunnel, Highway 99 southbound through Richmond, looking a little bit slower than usual. They weren't able to implement the counterflow southbound due to some paving. Uh, so they had two lanes north and southbound for most of the afternoon rush, and you're still seeing the leftover volume from that creeping down the highway. It is easing off, though. However, if you want to take it an easier option, the Alex Fraser Bridge looking a lot better. Kermac Collision and Autoglass has been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. High above Highway 99, I'm Tim Main. We'll see. It's a very big job to remove the RV that smashed into a Surrey home this past weekend. Clover Towing had the difficult and dangerous task of pulling the RV out of the home on 116th Avenue, where it's been stuck since Saturday. Crews say it was a balancing act to dodge any falling debris and to avoid causing any more damage to the vehicle and the house. 
four tow trucks, including a mobile crane, were involved. Apparently, it all went very smoothly. The motorhome flew down 140th Street and slammed into the home after the woman behind the wheel lost control. We're having a hard time sleeping because we're worried about people breaking into his house. And I've been doing late walks at night with the dogs just to try to keep an eye on it to stop people from, from going in there, right? And just letting people know that we're around. Neighbors indeed are monitoring the home's wreckage for looters. They say its elderly owner has health issues and is back in hospital due to the stress of it all. A GoFundMe has been set up to help Manfred Schiello, who does not have home insurance. Well, you can see it and you can smell it in the air. And for much of southern B.C., the smoky haze has triggered air quality warnings. Smoke from the string of massive wildfires burning in California, Oregon and Washington is drifting north. And it's going to be settled over us for at least the next couple of days. Brad McLeod reports. It hit B.C.'s southernmost city, Victoria, first. Smoke once again filling the Inner Harbour and Capital Region. When I woke up this morning, it made me feel pretty sick. It's a bit unpleasant. Then Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley Regional District extended their advisory for fine particulate matter. Metro Vancouver even banning campfires and briquette barbecues at all regional parks. Yesterday and the day before were the two hottest days. The flow was offshore from interior to coast, pushed the smoke away. Now we're in a gentle marine flow that's steered that smoke back in. Environment Canada's air quality ratings in Vancouver hovering around 10 plus for most of the early afternoon. The visibility in the capital region even worse than earlier in the week. You can barely see the legislature or the empress behind me. And again, all of this coming from south of the border. But this time it appears the smoke from California, Oregon and Washington have all combined. The smoke mass can be seen from satellite images. The already deadly fires have claimed at least two more lives in Salem, Oregon, a 12-year-old and his grandmother. There's no way I'm going to be uh, out here without some protection. The effectiveness of basic masks against smoke has been debated. They can work and actually they have been studied in, Calif uh, study in California that it offers some relief. Not as good as when you're wearing the N95, but this time we're not saying that to buy the N95 because we're serving that for healthcare professionals. So how long will the smoke stay this time? Everything points toward the, uh, the flow maintaining its direction from the south and southwest, and that would keep the smoke into the lower mainland through at least Sunday. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. And up next, more from those western states in flames. We have never seen this amount of uncontained fire across our state. Street after street turned to ash and why some say it's only going to get worse. And the anniversary of 9-11 and how New York is remembering the victims in the COVID era. High above Highway 91, just came from the Alex Fraser Bridge. That crossing looking really good. Here at Highway 91 and 72nd Street, you've seen a little bit of volume eastbound towards 116th Street. Now, it is just volume. We'd originally thought it was something going on, but it uh, just seems to be a traffic light not letting anyone through. Uh, so that is the biggest traffic we got over here. There was a crash, 168th Street at Colebrook. So watch out for that if you're moving through Surrey. 
From help on the road to protecting your home and car, BCAA's local experts are here for your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. High above Highway 91 and Global One, I'm Tim Main. That is a live shot from New York's 9-11 Memorial. The towers of light shining brightly tonight. The twin beams, an annual remembrance of the nearly 3,000 victims of the 9-11 terror attacks. Now 19 years since that tragedy. Officials had planned to scrap the tribute because of social distancing concerns, but reversed their decision after widespread criticism. Michael Walk Andrews. Earlier today, the familiar, somber reading of the names of the victims because of COVID physical distancing. Instead of family members reading the names live, a recording was played. The size of the crowd was also limited and hand sanitizer and masks were plentiful among those who were there. In California now, at least 19 lives have been lost to the more than two dozen major wildfires burning in the state. Thousands of homes have been destroyed, and much of the West Coast is smothered in that blanket of smoke, including Oregon, where massive evacuations are underway and a list of the missing keeps growing. Home after home, block after block, town after town. The amount of destruction is staggering. Now flames are closing in on the suburbs of Portland, Oregon, where there's a state of emergency. Officials say they're now preparing for a mass fatality incident. As of now, there are early reports from our, from our state police that there are dozens of missing persons related to the fires. In Oregon, half a million are under evacuation orders, more than 12% of the state's population. Those fires are also creating choking smoke all up and down the West Coast, from Los Angeles to Seattle. The worst air quality in the world is now in Oregon. And in California, this fire north of Sacramento is now the largest in state history. In the town of Berry Creek, California. This used to be a lakeside community full of beautiful homes nestled in the woods. You look around here now, though, and everything is gone. These homes have been incinerated. This man lost his house two years ago in the campfire. This week, his new house burned down. It hurts more this time, I think, than last time. Being that we're starting to rebuild our life and getting things back together again and, and having to rebuild is rather devastating. Homes can be rebuilt, but this fire has also claimed at least 10 lives, including 16-year-old Josiah Williams. His body found last night near his Berry Creek home. In Washington state, Jamie and Jake Highland were camping with their one-year-old son, Uriel. They couldn't make it to a nearby river in time. How long were they on the shore? It was what probably over 48 hours. The parents suffered severe burns. Uriel died. And Jamie also lost her unborn child. In my worst dreams, I couldn't imagine what my sister and brother-in-law had to go through and to do everything they could to fight for their lives and to protect their child and still to lose him and her baby. It's, there's no words and nothing will ever make it right. Carter Evans, CBS News. The Prime Minister weighing in today in his first public appearance since We Charity announced the closing of its Canadian operations. Global's Abigail Beeman shows us how Justin Trudeau chose his words very carefully. When the founders of We Charity announced Wednesday they were closing their Canadian operations, the Prime Minister's office quickly said it had no comment. Friday, Justin Trudeau was asked directly if he took any responsibility for that shutdown. His answer was long, one minute and 42 seconds, but he didn't name the organization once. Um, 
as I said, I regret not having recused myself in the beginning because of the perception uh, involved. But there was no conflict of interest here. The Prime Minister was speaking at a groundbreaking for a new gold mine in northern Ontario. He repeated previous messaging about how quickly the government was moving to provide help during the pandemic. And he said the way everything worked out in terms of the Canada Student Service Grant was, quote, really unfortunate for everyone involved, especially students, since that grant program never got off the ground. The deal fell apart after a political firestorm where it emerged We Charity had been given the contract that could have been worth close to a billion dollars after members of the Prime Minister's family, his mother, brother and wife, had received thousands of dollars in speaking fees from the organization. In announcing the closure of We's Canadian operations, the founding Kielberger brothers blamed both the pandemic and the politics. Friday, the Prime Minister did not take any responsibility, nor did he comment specifically on the organization's closure, choosing instead to double down that there was no conflict of interest, something the Ethics Commissioner is currently investigating. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. In Health Matters tonight, more evidence that physical distancing reduces the risk of contracting COVID-19. New research from John Hopkins University found people who practice strict outdoor social distancing had one-tenth the likelihood of getting coronavirus than those who were not as diligent. People who frequently used public transportation were four times more likely to get the virus, and infections were 16 times more common among those who had visited a place of worship three or more times in recent weeks. Researchers surveyed 1,000 U.S. residents in late June. Up next, an elderly couple lost for days in the wild. I was prepared to accept that I didn't see any way out. What happened and how they were eventually found. And in sports, Tyler Toffoli wants to stay. The question is, can the Canucks afford him? An amazing survival story now of an Ontario couple lost in the woods for days. Their situation grew more grim by the hour, but as Global's Karen Lieberman reports, both are alive thanks to perseverance and their devotion to each other. Cecilia and Ted Naismith, an Ontario couple in their 70s, are recovering from what can only be described as a harrowing ordeal. The two went missing in the township of Lake of Bays, located near Huntsville in the Muskoka region, some two and a half hours north of Toronto. The couple had been staying at a cabin on Oxbow Lake. It's been in the family for a long time, so Ted knows the area well. A picnic in the nearby woods seemed like a good idea. But this is what they were facing. Very thick bush, uh, steep inclines, bodies of water, whether it be lakes, rivers, everywhere, very, very wet. If you're wondering about a cell phone, neither Ted nor Cecilia brought one. They also hadn't alerted friends and family. So when they got lost returning to the cabin, no one knew. As long as I could keep walking, I wanted to keep walking. you got to try every chance you have. Ted decided the couple should separate to search for help. I took a lucky turn on an ATV trail, and that's how I got out. Cecilia reported her husband missing. By then, it was Thursday. They'd set out on Monday. Time is definitely against us in that case. We can't show you the search because a camera crew couldn't make it through the bush the way the OPP did by land, air and water. Here is what Ted did see. These three different types of bear. One, there was one cub. The first one I ran into was a mother and a cub. It was just nine degrees Celsius and stormy. 
but the rescuers were tireless. They glanced over and he actually has a bald head and when their flashlights hit him, they he was right there. Ted had been found hurting from his time in the woods and hypothermic. You should know, Cecilia, that you know you saved his life by doing what you did getting out of the woods. Together for nearly 50 years, it was their brief time apart that led them back together. Karen Lieberman, Global News. Wow, glad they made it out. All right, and I, I'm glad Kasha made it in because we've got <laughs> more of that. Yeah, more of that smoky haze to talk about. Unbelievable. Yeah, it just got worse through the day. It's really bad out there, and of course, not so much. You can't see any mountains, and it's terrible to breathe out there. I want to take you to the view from space at this point. Uh, it's pretty bad over Vancouver Island, as you can see, into the south of us. But it will be getting worse, or very likely could get worse before it gets any better. And now, upper-level indications are pointing towards the potential for a significant influx of uh, smoke over BC. It's going to be widespread throughout the weekend as well, and it will be extending as far north of this, as the BC piece, hence the Smoky Skies Bulletin, which has been extended to include all of these areas so far up north. We haven't seen this yet this season, including Haida Gwaii and the north coast and inland sections. Now, Smoky Skies, it does impact everybody, especially those who have chronic health issues, so the best advice we can give you is limit your outdoor activity, take extra precautions to reduce your exposure. What's going on is we have high pressure to the south of us, your classic summer scenario. We've got clockwise circulation around high pressure. It's boosting up or it's ushering in all of that smoke from the south. And that's likely going to be the situation throughout the weekend. And it could get a little bit better come Monday when we do have a change on the way. Meantime, temperatures, it was another record breaker for some areas. 35 in Lillooet, and that was the hot spot in the entire country today. Here's how your Saturday's playing out. The potential for showers in the northeast of the province today. Everybody else, a very similar day to what we had today. 30 degrees in Kelowna. Widespread smoke. It'll likely move in later in the afternoon tomorrow. 22 to 25 in Metro Vancouver with that smoke as well. And here we have also the potential for uh, Humidex values with temperatures falling on our Monday. Your Centro Windows weather window brought to us by Al Simon just as the smoke was moving in this morning. Uh, you can see a little bit of haziness out there. Dead calm in the harbor there, though. Pretty cool. All right. Thanks, Kasia. Squire joins us now with a look ahead and more contract clashes, I guess, with the Canucks. Well, it's going to be this way for a little while. Uh, Tyler Toffoli is one of the upcoming free agents, but he doesn't really want to go anywhere else. I want to stay in Vancouver, and that's uh, my number one priority as of right now. He's another one of those guys the Canucks would love to sign, but salary cap is a bit of an issue. Indeed. Also coming up tonight, Satellite Debris. Jim Benning might be singing a lot of clash lately as he looks at his roster. Should he stay or should he go? I wonder if he'd sound as good as Joe Strummer. No Not entirely sure. <laughs> uh, we showed you the list of Canucks needing new contracts yesterday, and one of them was Tyler Toffoli. Now, he hasn't been a Canuck for all that long. Vancouver traded for him from the L.A. Kings on uh, February 17th, but he worked out very well right away with what was left in the regular season. And then when he could play in the playoffs, he was pretty good there too. But he's another one of those guys who might be, might be too costly for the Vancouver Canucks to keep, even though management and the man himself would love to come to some sort of an agreement. Pedersen will start on the line with... 
Tanner Pearson in to Foley. He cutters it from Tyler to Foley. Scores! Just like that, he's back! The Canucks did not have a healthy Tyler Toffoli for the playoffs, but he still chipped in. And had he been able to play full strength, the Canucks might still be playing. That's the kind of upside he can provide. A Stanley Cup champion in his prime who can fire 25 to 30 goals. The Canucks want him back, and he wants to come back if they can fit him in. I want to stay in Vancouver, and that's uh, my number one priority as of right now. And if things progress and 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 not in the right direction, then that's when I have to think about going um, to a different place. I'll be biased till you know till the end of time, but uh, he definitely uh, can help us, and um, I'm uh, hoping that he's back in, in blue. So uh, we'll see. Toffoli feels he fit right in with this young, talented group. His best friend, Tanner Pearson, is on the team. And who wouldn't want to play with this exciting core of up-and-comers who were just starting to hit their stride? They have some kids in this organization uh, and some guys that really stepped up and showed that they are ready to take the next step. And, and not that they aren't already all-stars because they are, but uh, with P.D. Huggy, uh, I mean, we were joking about being in the bubble, I think, I said multiple times that I thought Bo was 35 years old, but he's 24 or whatever he is. So um, it's pretty impressive to see what what, um, what these guys did. It's definitely an exciting time to be in Vancouver, um, and it's it's definitely something that um, people want to be a part of now. Prince George's John Cooper, the former lawyer, now coaching the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's been a pretty good coach in the NHL. His team won the first two games of this series against the Islanders, but... Cal Clutterbuck gets the first goal of game number three. However, watch Yanni Gore with patience. Is he going to shoot it? No, he waits for Mikhail Sergachev to get open. He goes backhand, and it's a tie game 1-1. However, two goals in the second period for the Islanders gave them a 3-1 lead. It is now 2-1. It's at the end of a 4-on-4 situation. Brock Nelson takes the circuitous route around the net and gives it to Anthony Beauvillier, and it's 3-1 very late in the second. The Vancouver Whitecaps play at BC Play Stadium this Sunday and next Wednesday, both against Montreal. Then they'll play three games in the U.S. against uh, Real Salt Lake. They'll be in Los Angeles. They'll also be in Portland. And they will use Portland, Oregon, kind of a home base while they're down there. Now, unlike that tournament in Orlando at Disney World, no Whitecap player has said they aren't going to the States just yet. Remember... Before that tournament, star forward Lucas Cavallini did not want to go and didn't go. But it's not so much COVID-19 and players bailing that worries head coach Mark DeSantos the most about going to the U.S. It's something else. Um, me, my concern is more in the political side. It's not a country that I trust today. It's not a country that is stable. And I'm more concerned on that side than the the fires or, or anything like that. I'm just, uh, I just want to make sure that as a group we stick together. We're very careful with what we do. So we all learn to adapt and we all learn to, sh to stay strong. Before the Raptors and Celtics took the floor for Game 7, it was Game 5 between the Clippers and the Nuggets. L.A. can end this thing. Kawhi Leonard spinning, dunking. He had 36. Watch, uh, watch Montrez Harrell, <laughs> great block on Ontario's Jamal Murray. But you can't stop Jamal all the time. 
And a great fourth quarter by the Nuggets with Murray here pulling back to hit the three. He had 26, and the Nuggets live to fight another day against the Clippers. It's 23-23 right now late in the first quarter. Celtics and Raptors game seven. This is uh, Brooke Henderson. That is an uncomfortable stance. Using the putter to chip, and that's a birdie. Minus five after two rounds of the inspiration, and uh, she is six off the lead of Nelly Corda. There you go. So fun to watch her. Okay, thanks very much, Squire. Here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11 tonight. Jay. Thank you, Chris. We're speaking with police right now in Abbotsford about a shooting incident that sent two people to hospital, including a police officer. It happened at the Cabela's store this afternoon when witnesses say two men attempted to steal a shopping cart full of ammunition. We'll have a full update on what happened. Plus, details on the collapse of a silo on the North Vancouver waterfront this afternoon. We'll have more on what happened there. Those stories when you join us tonight at 11, Chris. Lots going on today, that's for sure. Okay, thanks, Jay. We'll be back with Satellite Debris right after this. <laughs> I did not realize you were bilingual. Uh, uh, I didn't either. Squire. Well, you'll need to be for this. Uh, I'm a car guy. You're a music guy. Both of them featured in this. These things come together in one commercial as Elvis comes back to life and gets young when he comes back to life to sell Fiat's. Well, it's a one for the money, two for the show. But if you get ready now, go, cat, go, but don't you jump on my blue suede shoe. Well, you can do anything but take me over my blue suede shoe. Well, you can knock me down, step in my face, slander my name all over the place. Well, do anything that you want to do, but not, uh, honey, lay off them shoes and don't you step on my blue suede shoe. Well, you can do anything but take me over my blue suede shoe. Let's go, cat! Drain my liquor from an old fruit jar We'll do anything that you wanna do But uh, uh, honey, lay off of my shoes And don't you step on my blue suede shoe Well, you can do anything But lay over my blue suede shoe Rock it! Chegou a nova Fiat Strata. A lenda se superou. Good show. There's always a job for an Elvis impersonator. Uh, okay, this gentleman we're going to show you is named Adam Bobro. Um, he is a professional ping pong player, and this guy has some amazing shots. Let's enjoy. Like this one, way up in the air. There it is, and it goes the other way. Or he 
serves it from way over there, and then it's... How about this? Or this. One more time. Sweet pony. <laughs> he kind of trolls the other player too yeah. a little bit, doesn't he? And this one where it bounces back over the net. So much backspin on it. Uh, then there's this. Off the stage and still gets it in. And finally. Oh. The behind the back. And it's good. Like a dance. He's got to be running out of players who want to play. <laughs> All right, I'm kicking it way old school on this next commercial. I, I, I just ran across it the other day in the files. It's from about nine years ago. It's for Bud Light. But it still works to this day. Here we go. Don't worry about them, Rocket. You got this. Here we go! It's the sure sign of a good time. It's just right taste of Bud Light. Here we go. You gotta admit, it was a heck of a catch. Two thousand eleven. When you say it, doesn't seem like that long ago, but it actually was. It it looks outdated. Uh, last word on weather before we go, Kasha. Uh, smoky skies throughout the weekend for almost everybody. All right. Well, have a good weekend anyway, and thanks for watching, everybody. And good luck, Marsha.